as we have already said this morning, Merry Christmas. The, the long wait is over and we celebrate today for Christ has come. Over the past month together, we've been reflecting on this Advent theme of waiting. After all the promises and prophecies for God's people, they waited and longed for a Messiah to come. And together, we have specifically been considering Mary as she received the good news from Gabriel of this coming birth and all the ways that she responded in the midst of that waiting, right? There was trouble and wonder. There were questions that she had. There was responding with faith and even the rejoicing that she did as she sang her song and, and rejoiced with Elizabeth. But now we turn the page from the waiting of Advent to the celebration of Christmas, because this long-awaited Messiah has come. This long-awaited Messiah is here. Christ is born. So this morning we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, that classic text of Christmas with Bethlehem and the birth, the shepherds and the angels. But just as we have been over the past month, I want to keep our focus on Mary. Right? We've seen the many ways that she has responded in her waiting. And today I want to consider how does she respond now that this wait is over? And so let's read together Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and went into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the celebration of this season that you have come to dwell among us. God, I pray that as we reflect on the story of the scripture this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is the great Christmas story that we remember and celebrate this time of year. But as we read, did you catch it? Did you catch how Mary responded? I mean, it can be easy to miss amidst all of the familiar moments of the journey to Bethlehem, the manger, the shepherds, the angels. But after all of these things, in verse 19, we read that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is just one more example of Mary leading the way for us now, not only in the waiting, but also in the receiving. I mean, after all that has happened, she pauses to treasure and ponder in her heart. So let's walk back through the story together and see all that Mary has been through that led to this moment. Right. So at the very beginning of Luke chapter two, as, as, as celebratory and sentimental as the Christmas story often seems, Luke chapter two does not begin that way. Because before the angels sing or the shepherds share or Mary swaddles her newborn, there are a number of challenges that we encounter in the story. I mean, the, the whole chapter begins with a long journey to Bethlehem. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that Joseph and Mary went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now, this phrase may seem a little bit confusing to us because on a map, Nazareth is up in the north and Bethlehem is down in the south, right? So we would say they went down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But Luke describes it as going up for a couple of reasons. One of them is, is that this is just how you describe in that culture going from a smaller town to a more substantial place, right? Nazareth was a small town, and, and while Bethlehem was also a fairly small town, it was a suburb of Jerusalem. Uh, and so Bethlehem would have been a far more prominent place than little old Nazareth up there in the north. And so it's the kind of place that you would go up 
to. You go up to Bethlehem. You go up to Jerusalem and, and great places like this. Another reason that he might put it this way is because of geography. I mean, the whole region is very hilly, right? It's filled with all kinds of hills and, and mountains and things like that. And Bethlehem was just uh, located right south of Jerusalem, which is known for Mount Zion, this prominent hill within the city. Mount Zion is referred to, especially in the Psalms, as a reference to Jerusalem and specifically to the temple which is where the people of God gathered and worshiped and, and remembered the presence of God among them. And in fact, there's actually a whole collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that are known as the Psalms of Ascent, which are traditionally, were traditionally sung as people made their journey toward Jerusalem, ascending the hills toward Mount Zion. I kind of wonder if Mary and Joseph might have sung some of these songs on their journey in that direction. But whatever the case was, Jerusalem, and by extension Bethlehem, just south of it, was a place that you ascended to. So Mary and Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. And that hilly ascent that journey was about 90 miles, which doesn't seem like that much to us these days. I mean, about an hour and a half drive, maybe. But for Mary and Joseph, it would have been a four-day journey on foot, or perhaps traditionally we imagine with the donkey or something like that. So just imagine that four-day journey through a hilly region, ascending your way, not only to Jerusalem, but past it, to Bethlehem. That's no small journey for anyone, but much more an expectant mother. It was long and difficult and exhausting. But I think there's actually another layer to this long and hard journey. Because in these opening verses of Luke chapter 2, Luke doesn't only explain that they went up to Bethlehem, but also why they went there. The, the first couple of verses, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. This word census or register, are actually the same word in the Greek. And this word is repeated four times in the first five verses of Luke chapter 2. So what is Luke emphasizing by repeating this word about Caesar's census and the people's required registration over and over again? Well, by repeating it over and over again, Luke is driving home the point that the people were living under Roman occupation. The Jewish people were not free. They were not their own nation, but they lived at the whim of the Roman Empire. And that long journey that Mary and Joseph make because of this census is just one long, hard reminder of this reality that they are living under Rome, not as their own people. I mean, just last week, we heard Mary's prophetic song of hope. 
in the previous chapter, in chapter one, about powerful rulers being thrown down and lowly people being lifted up. But here we are in chapter two, and it seems very much like Caesar is still sitting on his throne telling these lowly people what to do and where to go. I mean, every step on this journey to Bethlehem was a reminder that God's promises have not yet been fulfilled. But every step toward Bethlehem was one step closer to their fulfillment. So this is how the Christmas story begins. A long, hard journey and a harsh reminder that things are still not the way they're supposed to be. And then they arrive in Bethlehem, finally. And of course, they they check into the Four Seasons Hotel, right? Rest up in a soft bed, stop by the spa, take it easy, right? Well, no, no, of course not. But, But surely they at least checked into like a Motel 6 and got to veg out and watch Discovery Channel or something, right? No, again, right? In verse 7, Luke tells us that upon their arrival in Bethlehem, there was no guest room available for them. There was no place for them in the end. Now, traditionally, we, we think that there wasn't anywhere for them to stay because of the census. Bethlehem was already, you know, brimming with people uh, too full because of this. But another suggestion is that maybe even if there was room for them, it wasn't available for them precisely because of all those rumors that had been going around about Mary's untraditional pregnancy, right? An unwed mother is not welcome here. We don't have any place for you to stay. Whatever the reason, there was no guest room available for them, which is why when it came time for Jesus' birth, He would be laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, and not a crib. Now, there are all kinds of ideas around what exactly this setting was. The traditional nativity scene always has Mary and Joseph in a stable or a barn. Others have said that historically it would have much more likely been a cave or something like that instead of a barn. Uh, and, And still more others say this perhaps most likely is that they actually were staying in some kind of a guest house or maybe a relative's home or something like that. But there wasn't any room for them uh, in the lodging area. So instead, they were staying in a different area where the animals were kept, sort of like someone coming, like an ancient equivalent of saying, hey, we don't have room for you, but you could stay in the garage, I guess, right? Except instead of concrete and cars and the smell of gasoline, it was hay and animals and other unpleasant smells. But whatever and wherever they were staying, It was not the sort of place that you would want to stay after a long and hard journey, and it certainly was not the kind of place suitable for giving birth. But that's where they were. And in verse 6, we read that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So after this long, hard journey, and in the uncomfortable place where they were staying, the time comes to give birth. 
Now, we prefer the picture that is painted with the classic words, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. But at least as I understand it, the process of birth, labor, and delivery is anything but silent or calm. And the mothers in the room uh, or in the Zoom room all said, amen, I'm sure, uh, right? But I mean, Luke doesn't tell us any of the details, but labor can last for hours. It is a long and a difficult and a painful process, or it can be. Now, there are tons of nativity sets and classic paintings that depict this. I actually have a few uh, that I can show you. Uh, take a look at some of these. Um, you know, we've got our classic nativity scene set up somewhere. Uh, we've got that willow tree style one, you know, and, and, and here's a, an, a painting from the 15th century, everyone all huddled up very nice and, and holy and such. But there's another painting that I've recently come across uh, that is from the late 19th century that I really love. It's this right here. I mean, just take a moment to look at it. Mary is exhausted. Jesus is sleeping. Joseph is kind of in a tired shock, not, not sure what to think, but keeping watch. There's still something very sacred and holy in this image, but there's also something that is very earthy and real. I wonder if this might be a little more accurate than some of those other nativity scenes that we often look at. You see, this exhaustion and shock is very relatable. It's, it's far more realistic. I mean, after that long, hard journey, lodging among animals, was this painful and exhausting process of giving birth. This is the Christmas story. It is full of pain, challenges, struggles all along the way. And yet, it's well known that the pain of childbirth quickly gives way to the joy of motherhood. In John 16, Jesus comforts his disciples about their grief by saying to them, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And we see this very kind of change occur within Luke's narrative. After all the challenges of verses 1 through 7, a shift occurs in verse 8. In verse 8, we are transported from the animal lodging place where Mary and Joseph are to another animal lodging place out in the fields beyond Bethlehem. 
It's the dark of night. The shepherds are watching over their sheep. And when a light suddenly shines around them and an angel appears and announces that God's promises are coming true. A savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And then just as suddenly as that first angel had come, a whole host of heavenly beings appear with the angel singing and celebrating. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I mean, the challenges and pain of the opening verses have given way to celebration and joy. What had previously been made known to Mary and Joseph and a dream and Elizabeth and perhaps a few other trusted individuals that uh, this was shared with, all of this was now going public. Right? These are the things that the people have been waiting for for centuries, and the time has finally come. He was here. God was saving his people. And the shepherds were told about a sign. This newborn Savior, Messiah, Lord, would be found in a manger of all places, wrapped in cloths. And so verse 16 says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And I wonder what that visit was like. I mean, what is it like for a bunch of shepherds to pile in, drop in on an animal shelter slash birthing room? I mean, was it quiet and contemplative like our nativity scenes in those paintings look? Perhaps there was some sort of quiet honor about them as they approached, but perhaps it was just noisy and crazy and full of commotion and chaos. And what was it like for Mary and Joseph? Maybe it was an honor, you know, in this lonely, isolated animal shelter to be visited and celebrated by others. Or maybe it was just startling and, and troubling to have these uninvited guests suddenly and unexpectedly show up. Luke doesn't tell us what that interaction is like. But what he does tell us is that when the shepherds leave, they announce what they had seen and heard to anyone who would listen. And Luke tells us that everyone who heard was amazed at what the shepherd said to them. And the shepherds all went out and they returned to their field, glorifying and praising God. So this chapter began with the challenges faced by Mary and Joseph, but then turned toward this burst of glory and celebration of many in both heaven and on earth. And this is often where our telling of the Christmas story ends. You know, everyone goes away praising and rejoicing God, but Luke continues in verse 19, saying, But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke turns the narrative back to Mary and gives us this little glimpse, this window into her state of being after everything that has happened and come to pass. And Luke really does make a point of this. Do you notice at the beginning of verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, right? This follows Luke's description of the people's reaction to the shepherd's story 
He says that they were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And this but indicates something important. You see, Luke is highlighting that there is a difference between being amazed at something and treasuring it. There's a difference between being amazed at something and treasuring it. All the people were amazed, but Mary treasured these things in her heart. You know, all through this past month, we've been contemplating what it's like to wait. We've seen Mary's waiting as she was troubled and wondered and questioned and responded in faith. And these are things that we experience in our waiting as well. Trouble, wonder, questions, invitations to trust. But today, as we celebrate Christmas and remember Jesus' arrival, I want to consider how do we respond when that wait is finally over? I mean, what do you do when the thing you have been waiting and longing for actually happens? Do you check it off a list and then rush along to the next thing? Do you receive it at all? Or do you maybe discount it, dismiss it, make little of it, not really pay much attention? I mean, today is the day after Christmas, and despite the unending Christmas songs and decorations that have filled every single empty space in stores and on the radio, our culture will very quickly sweep it all under the rug in the next couple days, probably, and just move on to New Year's celebrations, resolutions, so on and so forth. Spiritual writer Ronald Rollheiser has said, our society knows how to anticipate an event, but not how to sustain it. Our society knows how to anticipate an event, but not how to sustain it. I mean, we look forward to all kinds of things, but are relatively unpracticed at truly cherishing and treasuring the things that had happened. Historically, in the Christian tradition, the 12 days of Christmas are not just a silly song. They really are an ongoing season of Christmas that lasts for 12 days. And so yesterday was the first day of Christmas. Today is the second day of Christmas, and there are 10 more days of Christmas after today. This ongoing season lasts far longer than our culture will remember Christmas. On past into the new year, almost a week into the new year. But this ongoing season, it's meant to shape us and form us so that we might not be like the crowds who were only amazed, but to actually be like Mary, who treasured and pondered. May we not rush ahead to whatever is next, but pause to remember and treasure and wonder at these things. And then there's what she treasured and pondered. 
right? Luke says Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder what all these things means. What all does that include? I mean, surely the good things like Gabriel's announcement, celebrating with Elizabeth, the songs of the angels, the visit of the shepherds, the arrival of her precious child. But perhaps she also pondered that nine-month period of social isolation in her pregnancy and those rumors that were stirring around her. Perhaps she also pondered the long, hard journey to Bethlehem and the reminder that the Jewish people were still not free. Perhaps she also pondered that uncomfortable lodging place among the animals and the painful labor of childbirth. These two brought her to where she was. I mean, after all, Luke writes that she treasured up all these things, not just the good ones. See, in her treasuring and pondering, Mary did not cast judgment on any part of her story. Rather, she contemplated every moment with honor and with curiosity. Mary shows us that every part of our stories, whether joy or pain, is worth treasuring up and pondering over. So this is the invitation for us. As we continue through the ongoing season of Christmas, as we head into a new year, we're invited to treasure and ponder the wonderful story of Christmas, as well as every part of our stories. Whether considering the past week of holiday celebrations, the past year of 2021, or the whole storyline of our life, what does it look like to treasure up and ponder every single moment. Are there moments of goodness or maybe quiet fulfillment that have gone unnoticed? Are there moments of pain, uncertain challenges that you'd rather avoid? Whatever you find yourself, whatever stories begin to unfold, wherever you are on this place between joy and pain, the invitation is here to gather up every moment without judgment and hold each one with honor and curiosity. Christmas is a time for receiving. So before we all move on to the next thing and start planning for next year, let's take time to receive the gift of this moment to reflect on the story of our lives. Let's take time to remember the gift of God coming to dwell among us, to finally fulfill all of his promises. This Christmas, may we join with Mary as we treasure up 
all of these things and ponder them in our hearts. Amen.